everyone, and welcome to the Summer Podcast here on the Higher Network. We have with us today Melissa Mungai, a Kenyan LLM candidate at the Center for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria, and is here with us today as the issue editor for the fifth volume of the Strathmore Law Journal. With her is Nahaja Adam, a Ghanaian lawyer who is also an LLM candidate at the Center for Human Rights in the University of Pretoria, and Zwe Eugene, a Zimbabwean researcher with interests in AI and human rights. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for Thank having you, us. Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you with us. Um, so coming up on the 23rd, we have the launch of the journal on the Higher Network, featuring two key speakers, Professor Peter Kimani and Professor Michelle Mugo. Could you tell us a little about this upcoming event? indigenizing sites of knowledge in Africa. Yes, thanks, Alex. As the issue editor, I was thinking up ways of extending the conversations that were inaugurated in the journal through the articles and the, the other pieces that were that I published. And I thought that this whole process has been about bringing a number of African scholars together to talk about concerns that affect the continent in their own ways, in their own styles of writing. So the theme of this uh, conversation, indigenizing sites of knowledge is just extending those conversations that are in the journal. And then Professor Michelle Mugo and Professor Peter Kimani were not only contributors in the journal, but their whole uh, what do I, how do I say this? Their whole scholarship journey is about this idea of decolonization, this idea of bringing knowledge back to the source, this idea of celebrating your Africanness. So that's what it's going to be about. Yeah. Okay, well, so the fifth volume of the journal presents us with a collection of multidisciplinary works which your editorial note refers to as 14 intellectual gems, which you section off into five distinct treasures. Do tell us a bit more about these treasures and how they were chosen to resonate with the overarching theme. Typical legal journal, which the fifth volume of the Strathmore Journal is, um, they have this bias or bent for just legal issues or legal concerns alone. And when you bring in that multidisciplinary angle to it, you realize that papers or ideas can actually speak to each other, for each other, by, <laughs> by themselves. And so this weaving together of the, the legal and non-legal ways of writing, um, to me, was like a treasure trove. So that's why I call them treasures, because it was just beautiful, like discovering. You know something that was hidden though beautiful um so the five the 14 gems or the or the 14 treasures whatever you want to call them they have you know five uh groups or classifications that are called treasures or gems so we have the, the we have the we have the general articles um, which focus on women's rights, mm -hmm. inclusion, and devolution, and also a bit of legal education, the history and contemporary concerns in sub-Saharan Africa. And the 
the the authors of these uh, papers are and then there's so there's the general articles and then there's the there's a book review section um and in the book reviews uh, the 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 funny part about the book reviews is that the two books were published by Strathmore University Press so you'd imagine that there would be some some prejudice like okay we can't say something bad about books that you have produced so i think the authors were very objective in mm -hmm. bringing out even the uglier sides that as editors we had forgotten so that was great then we have a treaty review um by this uh professor from mauritius uh who deals with maritime security we thought maritime security was a good aspect to bring up because it's it, it it doesn't really make part of those uh, core legal conversations. So it was a nice addition to, to, to the journal. And then the speeches were republished, the speeches section, most of them were republished, especially by one by Professor Michel Mugo, um, that is about the aping that usually happens in the academic spaces, aping of, of our colonial masters. And so she's, uh, I want to say rebuking or telling us not to do that anymore and to become real intellectuals and not impostors. And there's a nice poem at the end of that that speech, also by Professor Ambrina Manji from Cardiff uh, Law um, in the UK. And she wrote a paper about a speech about the land injustices in Kenya. And she's even subsequently written a book, published a book last year about it. So that's a must read. And uh, lastly, we have the recent development section by Professor Shadra Guto, who shares a lot of like historical background with Professor Michelle Mugo, one of our speakers, as exiles in the 1980s, um, the lecturers who are sent out of the country as exiles um, because of their activism and the way they were openly rejecting the public, the status quo, the political status quo. Yeah, so how all these papers speak to each other is the fact that they bring out um, that idea of African issues um, being explored using um, authentic realism, if I can call it that, that these all each of these authors looked at the realities around them and put them as they were, and they were celebrating the way that we can find our own solutions as Africans. And all this now comes together in that multidisciplinary work um, that makes mm -hmm. the idea of indigenizing knowledge more diverse, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it really brings a lot of things together. Um, the treaty review, which, as you said, is, is legal, but is something typically typically left out of, of uh, journals um, speeches that's definitely novel um, now you state that these works bring to life decolonized mentalities in academia and that the authors have an unapologetic reliance on african knowledge sites could you explain to us what exactly are decolonized mentalities and how exactly African knowledge sites, what, what African knowledge sites bring to the table in African academia? Again, um, typical legal writing is very Eurocentric, especially for this journal that's based in Kenya. 
and so the way we've been taught how to write submissions and arguments or whatnot is very eurocentric and i did like that from first from face value these authors um were able to have a they broke away from that eurocentricism they brought in their personalities for instance in the speeches there's one by um elisha ongoya who is a very active uh what do i want to call him public litig litigant um in the country and he's always looking for those um th those those people who need assistance and um, to access justice more than anyone so I, I did like the the fact that his speech on the on gender parity in in kenya's parliament he shows his journey um, litigating around that issue in the court and so i like that idea of bringing out his 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 own journey in creating that uh, story of gender parity that he brought up I also liked uh, one of the book reviewers, Lizzie Muthoni, who used her ethnic language, Kikuyu, to kind of test out some of the ideas that she was critiquing in the in the book, which has some historicity angle to it and bringing in the ethnic language to showcase how maybe the story was told inaccurately did make her critique more robust. So there was that part of, they look within look at themselves as knowledge sites and then also the types of sources they were using they were not running to the global north to write something that we can see in our own continents in our own realities so most of the authors have relied on african scholars to make their arguments and when when i saw that at face value i was even pushing the authors to to keep going keep searching keep scratching and then you you know the the list of sources of the references look so beautiful because it looks like it's homegrown so decolonized mentalities essentially means that we can do it this is one of those debates um, that are had in academic spaces and maybe even other spheres of knowledge that we have in the continent that can we really create truly african knowledge relying on our own sources of knowledge our own scholars our own ideas and you can do it and i think this journal is a testimony one of the testimonies that you can actually you can actually create that you can make it a lived reality to put it in another way so that's 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 why i said this is the stuff not to mention that each of the most of the authors are senior lecturers uh, senior members of their professional space not only in age but on, also in experience so it was good to see these gurus um these experts really sharing the, the ideas with us uh, as you said they the seniors in in age <laughs> and experience and i guess it shows um the next generation of uh scholars that they can dig into their own uh knowledge sites yeah. here at home in africa uh in building yeah. their works so moving on to your right-hand peers in bringing this together. Um, as organizers of this upcoming event, Nahaja and Zue, what does indigenizing sites of knowledge in Africa mean to you? So, <laughs> admittedly, I didn't have a clear understanding of what it meant to indigenize sites of knowledge in Africa. So jumping off of what Melissa said, I, I, I am quite skeptical in terms of when she says we can make 
homegrown knowledge devoid of a Eurocentric approach or Eurocentric touch. I think that would be wrong. That would be a fallacy. We'll just be kidding ourselves. Because I was, when she was saying, I was, I was asking myself, okay, so what would it, what would it look like? Let me pick a, an African subject, so to speak, that I was taught and the presentation of it. And for growing up in Ghana, everyone is, you are made to learn a Ghanaian language in the curriculum. And as part of it, you don't just learn grammar and comprehension, you learn how to write. And in writing, I was like, how different is the format of writing and, present, and presenting our ideas in a local Ghanaian language? How different is this when I'm writing an academic paper on, let's say, the right to, um, oh, the use of force against, the police use of force against protesters in Ghana? How different is it in terms of the way, the structure and the content. And I don't think it's 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 much different. So I structured, I, I currently, I am struggling to find how we can say it is devoid of a Eurocentric narrative. Of course, when I'm, if I'm writing a paper on uh, maybe African feminisms and extremism, um, extremism, I'll cite Tamale, I'll cite Melissa, I'll cite Zwei, but <laughs> no, I'm not going to cite you. But in, it's it's would it can still maintain a Eurocentric approach because just the fact that the, someone is an African author is writing citing other African artists does not necessarily mean it's devoid of Eurocentric ideas and concepts. I don't know if you are like, am I like, am I making sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, that's 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 what I uh, I'm taking based on Melissa's initial thoughts. But for me, indigenizing sites of knowledge would would mean as not necessarily looking at the form of like the way it takes, but getting more African people to contribute to existing African knowledge on Africa. Yeah, so it will look more like as, a, as if I'm supposed to write on anything on like the African human rights system, mm -hmm. I should be able to find at least a hundred Africans who have written on it and not Rachel Murray from her, 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 her office in Oxford. No, that's not what it should look like. So for me, the national size of knowledge means this, like that's what it uh, looks Zwei, like to me. Perhaps you have a perspective to share as well. Um, thank you, Alex. Uh, perhaps maybe if you could just repeat the question yes, so I'm clear what I'm speaking to exactly. Um, what does indigenizing sites of knowledge in Africa mean to you? What is your understanding? Um, is your perspective similar to Melissa's or perhaps Nahaja's, or maybe you have your own way. Uh, thank you, Alex. Um, I think for me, decolonizing, uh, sorry, indigenizing sites of knowledge necessarily implies two things. Firstly, it implies the indigenization of the knowledge first, and then the centering of that knowledge in indigenous sites. So let me start with the first. I think, um, we are all in agreement that this is by all means and purposes, a large scale decolonization project. And the inspiration is quite clear that our knowledge systems are colonial structures that we inherited at the point of our becoming as African states. And that's unfortunately still true today for the exchange and the creation of knowledge in the university. Um, and at this point, I'd like to invite all of you to consider a paper written by Professor Tsepo Matingozu on decolonizing the ivory tower. Um, he provides a very interesting take on what it implies practically for African universities to adopt um, decolonial strategies. 
to provide um, free, accessible, and decolonized education. So I think the first project is to indigenize our knowledge, which is to reject um, uh, a lot of the colonial um, points of hegemony that still exist right now. I'll give you a great example, which is international law. Um, we've all had the opportunity to read traditional international law. We've all had those um, uncomfortable um, encounters with ourselves when we question whether or not this is specifically a structure that represents our interests as Black people, as Black people in Africa, as uh, Black people in the so-called dead world. So I think that's necessarily the first um, part of, 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 of the project, which is to, 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 to indigenize the knowledge to begin with. And then the second part of the project, I would assume, is to indigenize the sites where the knowledge is hosted. And this speaks again directly to what Melissa has already shared with us on um, where it is that a lot of scholars choose to publish their work or where it, where it is that a lot of scholars want their, their work to be based. Um, this is not an African example, but I'll give an example of uh, Professor Toni Morrison. When she passed, her work wa was um, housed in, the, in Princeton University. Um, and at the point of her passing, she had the opportunity to have her, house, her work housed at Howard University, which is, which as you all know, is a historically black university. Um, she was criticized for that decision. I also criticized her a lot for that decision because a lot of people felt it would be more empowering for black people to have the inspirational works of an iconic black writer being hosted in a historically black university. Um, and I think that controversy can be a microcosm to our discussion here on indigenizing sites of knowledge because I am a great believer in having our own uh, platforms where we can um, house, as Melissa has uh, said, the treasures, uh, the academic treasures that are created by um, African scholars and African thinkers and African contributors. I think we need to start rejecting um, that uh, vicious cycle of having our work approved and stamped uh, by um, the global North, by white people, by Americans, by Europeans, by American universities, by European universities, by American scholars, by white scholars. So it necessarily entails a structural revamp of academic writing and academic publication. And I think this journal is a truly groundbreaking initiative, which is emblematic of the kind of project that um, indigenizing sites of knowledge means. It's, it, it means having more platforms where African work is centered, where African work is mainstreamed. And those platforms ought necessarily also to be contesting the main space, which under status quo is being held by these universities and these professors and these scholars in the so-called Western world. Okay, um, Melissa, I don't know if you have any response to that, especially to Nahaja's perspective, which uh, as she stated, deviates from what you presented to us. No, I, I, I understand where Nahaja is coming from. That's why this this topic is kind of moot and you can you can think up many ways of of describing it. So there there's 
perhaps my answer sounded too uh, idealistic and I had this, um, we call it like romanticism about, about Africa. <laughs> Maybe that's how I sounded, but I always agree with those nuances. Like if you, 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 there's, there's, no, there's no harm in the way we've been taught how to write and you can bring in and infuse that African knowledge into it. Or maybe sometimes it's not as direct, like she was saying, if you choose a topic like African feminism, maybe there you can you punch or hit the nail on the head with this um, indigenizing project, while others may not be that direct. So yeah, it's true. I, I do acknowledge the nuances that she's bringing in because that's, 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 that, that's the counter narrative that we have on indigenizing, yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, how about to close us off, you can tell us a little about the key speakers who will be having a conversation uh, during the launch, Professor Peter Kimani and Professor Michelle Mugo. And what can we expect from such brilliant minds during their conversation? Yeah, so uh, Professor Michelle Mugo and, and, and Professor Peter Kimani, as I said, at the beginning, um, are, are, are two great Kenyan intellectuals. Um, Michelle, Professor Michelle, of course, is, 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 is the one. <laughs> she's, she's the one who outranks uh, all of us by seniority. Um, she, she is 78 years old, I believe, uh, not to tell of her age, but you can imagine since the, eight, since the 80s throughout, she has been producing knowledge even as far as as recent as july this year so it's 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 wow. great to have these two scholars having a conversation with each other their work also intersects um they, they share this uh, common ground of post-colonial studies of course from a from a literature perspective we can call it that michere professor michere is big on oricha which is that performance of, of, of oral literature, that performative side of oral literature. Well, Peter is more into the written uh, part of it. Uh, he's a journalist as well in, and, and on his free time, you can find him being a, well, I could say a, a noise maker in the standard newspaper every Friday is a columnist. Um, so, so they are in touch with the political as well as the literal side of it, the writing, the teaching part of it. So uh, this is the reason why we chose them to to speak up about this topic that they they converse in their in their professional work as well, and even their own persona. As I mentioned, Professor Michelle had a part of her life that she was in exile owing to her activism and she settled in Zimbabwe and has, you know, a lot to share with us about those journeys in the conversation. Um, and for Peter, I should also add that um, he is internationally acclaimed author. Um, so he has books that do show how this indigenizing can go. Um, by the blending of languages, by telling an accurate story about um, Africa's past, mostly Kenya's past. So I would recommend to those who are joining our discussion to read Dance of the Jacaranda and also Nairobi Noir, which is more about the violent side of, of violent, dark, gloomy part of urban life 
urban cities, but I guess it's the theme. So you can see this realness <laughs> that they bring out in their scholarship, and that's what they're going to be sharing with us on the 23rd. Yeah. That sounds like something we should all definitely look forward to. Thank you so much, Melissa, Nahaja, and Zue for your time. I hope everyone will join on the 23rd of November at 8 p.m. East African time on the Higher Network. Um, just go on to hostedinafrica.com, log in if you already have your membership set up and go into Indigenizing Sites of Knowledge in Africa. We have a community created where the virtual event will take place. Um, if not, you can just sign up at hostedinafrica.com and come be a part of the journal launch. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex, for having us. Muito obrigado, Alex. Adeus. Thank you.